Hello, one and all, and welcome to another edition of Talking T20 with me, Daniel Norcross, and my Benjamin Button of a sidekick who just seems to get younger every week, Matt Roller. Matt, we find ourselves at a beautifully sunny, glorious hove today because we're here for KSL Finals Day, the final KSL Finals Day. Are you thrilled? Are you excited? Well, there's a tinge of sadness in the air, I think, is the uh, the overriding emotion. We've had some nostalgia from players and journalists over the past few days about, um, you know, the, the end of the KSL era four years on. But, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to what promises to be an interesting day of action. It does, and we're going to bring you reaction to today's action later on in today's podcast when the final KSL champions will be crowned. Will it be the Western Storm? Will it be the Southern Vipers? Or will it be the Loughborough Lightning? As I say, we will find out shortly. But first, we need to turn our attentions to what has been yet another quite extraordinary week in the Vitality T20 Blast. Teams have qualified that had absolutely no chance. None whatsoever. Teams have failed to qualify through dint of their own extraordinary last-minute ineptitude. It has been results have been raining down that none of us had predicted we're going to be putting your predictions to the test as well Matt Roller because now finally after all these weeks of action we do have our eight quarter finalists and just to run you through who they are I know this is kind of spoiling the surprise but you probably know already from the south group Sussex and Gloucestershire will host quarter finals Middlesex and Essex also qualified how Essex qualified I do not know Matt Roller was at both their games this week he'll be able to tell us and in the North Group. Well, not a lot happened really in the North Group since we last spoke to you. Lancashire and Nottinghamshire, they're going to host quarterfinals as we expected them to and Derbyshire and Worcestershire also qualify. So we will touch on the North Group later on in the podcast but first of all, Matt, we have got to talk about the extraordinary shenanigans in the South Group. At the beginning of the week it looked for all money that it was going to be, well, Kent and Somerset that would qualify along with Sussex and almost certainly Gloucestershire. While Sussex and Gloucestershire performed their side of the bargain, up to a point, we'll come on to that later, but Middlesex and Essex have made it through in absolutely startling fashion. Let us begin with Middlesex because of that record-breaking run chase, 227 that they chased down in 17 overs. EOIN Morgan, notorious Irish Val thief, smashing 80-odd of 29 balls. It was madness, wasn't it? It included an incredible Stokes-like catch as well to dismiss A.B. de Villiers of Tom Lamanby, but that was the only part of Lamanby's bowling performance that would have given him any joy whatsoever, as Somerset's bowlers just fell apart. Yeah, I was following from afar while I was at Chelmsford watching uh, what would otherwise have been the game of the night and almost any evening uh, of Friday night T20 action, but... Uh, yeah, it was it was slightly remarkable. I sort of looked over at the score, having seen someone say I got two twenty, and sort of mentally put them to one side, and they're three. That's fine. No one chases that. No one has ever chased that in English domestic T20. Only three teams have chased that ever in the world in T20 since 2003. Um, Can you remember who they are? Is one of them the Lahore Colunders or something like quite that? Quite possibly, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Off the top of my head, you're, that's, 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 a big, that's a big old ask. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, I, I suddenly looked over and thought, hang on, 60 off three overs, that's a decent little effort. And then 95 off six overs, that's, that's another pretty decent effort. And it soon became apparent that... Uh, 
Middlesex had no intentions of really slowing down. Um, and yeah, how is Somerset going into that final week with, uh, games at the Oval where they sort of imploded after a pretty strong start, um, against Surrey? I think they were 60 off the power play and, um, the two Bs, Bauer and Banton were doing their usual thing at the top of the order. They, you know, scraped to 150 and I was there for that game and, and the, the batting just fell in a heap, as you say, from a really, really promising start. It, it's as if, Somerset and Kent in their different ways have, I dare one say, choked? Because that's yeah. what it looked like. I mean, it's what it's looked like with Somerset's bowling performance. I mean, again, tell us a bit more about that. that poor old Lamanby, roll, roll off Thunder Merva, getting terrible tap. Yeah, it was a, it, it was a tricky one. I hadn't realised when the, when the teams were announced that, um, Lewis Gregory, while he was fit enough to play, wasn't fit enough to bowl. Um, which, while it might have on another night been an inspired thing, he was brilliant with the bat last year, bailed them out in a lot of situations um, after difficult starts and scored his runs with a 200 strike rate. He, you, you know, he got injured early on in this year's competition. I think he made a, a first or second ball duck in the end in, in the first innings and then obviously wasn't fit to bowl, which meant that um, Lamon being able had to share four overs between them, which uh, ended rather horribly. And yeah, Somerset's, bowl, Somerset's bowling throughout the tournament has been pretty poor if we're honest um jerome taylor is no one's idea of a, a sort of world-class overseas signing uh and a few of their younger bowlers you know jamie overton had a great tournament last year but just hasn't quite found his rhythm his length um and i think there's a tendency for them to revert to short stuff uh too quickly the overtons um so they've struggled but you know it's it's sort of been um Somerset season has followed the, the general trend that we always talk about of bowlers winning you um, tournaments while batsmen win you matches. I, I ran the numbers and we had um, out of the top 12 run getters at this stage, only three of them have qualified for the quarterfinals, which are Dowd Milan uh, and the Derbyshire stars, Billy Goldman and Wayne Madsen. So that is an absolutely stellar fact, isn't it? Marvellous. Because I mean, we think, probably we'll think back in a few years' time when Tom Banton's pulling up trees all over the world and say 2019 was the year that he came to prominence. Mm. I mean, he's had a terrific tournament, and you wrote, if I may say so, a terrific piece in Crick Info about him. You spoke to him, you featured him, um, you made it quite clear that, you know, the, the changes that he's undergone in during this season. He didn't start the season, did he, as necessarily a stellar name. He's ended it as somebody that we're constantly talking about in the same breath as as Kevin Peterson, and we're sort of expecting that he's going to be picked up by the IPL or the Big Bash or what have you. But, of course, the moment you do that, it's the curse of the feature writer. <laughs> Firstly, he was overshadowed by his extraordinary captain, Tom Abel, who hit that 47-ball 100, and all of that in a losing cause. So, I mean, this speaks exactly to what you're saying, doesn't it? That you can have these spectacular batters, but if your bowling attack is not um, consistent in the way that Sussex is, is, for example, then you come unstuck. Well, yeah, and you look at the... the teams that are hosting quarterfinals and you, you could make quite a strong case that they're probably the four best attacks in the tournament um lancashire of and and knots um have both fielded um three spinners pretty regularly lancashire will relish that chance to play at chester Le street and uh, have you know parkinson croft maxwell um livingston even bowling the majority of their overs not have Carter, uh, Patel, and Imad Wazim. And then in the South group, Gloucestershire have their, you know, their pace off guys, the, 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 the Seamus who bowl a lot of change ups, the, uh, David Payne, AJ Ty, Chris Little, maybe less household names, but, um, you know, similar styles. And then Sussex, we, we 
we've talked about for the past two seasons as one of the great T20 bowling attacks. Possibly fewer star names with the lack of Jofra Archer this season, but still, you know, very much a. Um, and, and we're at home, so I can't. I must must make sure that no one's listening in if I say that they're not a stellar name. But you know, um, I think it, it's quite clear that um, those four teams have probably been the best four attacks in the tournament, and Luke Ray's got them. Well, indeed, it is. It has got them to these home quarterfinals. We'll we'll have a little look at those towards the end of today's program. But um, I want to now focus briefly on on Gloucestershire. You mentioned them, pace off team. They've had a terrific week, haven't they? I mean, they've beaten Sussex by three wickets off the last ball, getting there with a six, and uh, they beat Kent. And how they beat Kent, I do not know, because trying to sift through this and trying to give equal prominence to the success of a side like Gloucestershire. And at the same time, note that it's come really in part because of the terrible failings of their opponents. And we've touched on Somerset falling apart. Kent fell apart with the bat. If Somerset fell apart with the ball, Kent fell apart with the bat. They did it not once, not twice, but three times. Firstly against um, Surrey, quite abysmally. They were coasting that game. How they lost it, I do not know, by one run. Then on TV against Gloucestershire, they look for all the world to have that game wrapped up. What's what's going on there? I mean, I know Coon looking well settled at various points. Zach Chappell being well settled, and uh, um, you know, I, 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 you just can't really sort of make any real sense of it, can you? Yeah. So there's two things I'll quickly do um, touch on Gloucestershire. I think the interesting thing with them has been the lack of any kind of stars this year. They've not really had anyone who's put a, a load of runs on the board. Um, and they've not had anyone who's been a really prolific wicket-taker as well, but they've had a lot of people who have chipped in, uh, you know, shared the, shared the overs around. They quite often use six or seven bowlers. Um, then, you know, Michael Klinger had a horrible start to the tournament and has come into form just at the right time. Uh, Mars Hammond has put on some runs lately, but, you know, uh, you can think of someone like um, Jack Taylor, who had a great year last year. He's, he's not had a great campaign with the bat, really, Um but has chipped in when needed. People like Ryan Higgins have chipped in when needed. James Bracey. Um, and they just have a lot of these sort of good, solid county pros, really, who are all, you know, coming together and uh, creating a team that's greater than the sum of its parts. When you consider, if you'd said at the start of the season that they'd be missing Benny Howell through injury for the second half of their groups, you know, group, um, group games, then you'd, you'd completely write them off as potential quarter-finalists, more or less. But um, they've they've managed to find a way. And, yeah, then on to Kent. Goodness me, they were, they, they have collapsed in some style. They were, their, their fans haven't taken it well. They were six They're... wins from seven. They mm. were top after beating Hampshire at Beckenham. They were top. They, they'd won six of their first seven games. And since then, they lost to Gloucestershire. They lost to Somerset, at which point Adam Milne and Mohamed Nabi left. <laughs> Then they had two washouts, and then they've had three what can only be described as complete implosions in run chases. Um, as you say, against Surrey, they needed 18 off 12 with nine wickets left and lost. Against Gloucester, they needed 12 off nine with Faf Duplessis and Alex Blake in and lost. And then against Essex, they were they needed 40 off 25, admittedly a harder equation. Uh, but with Zach Crawley on 89 and having hit Zampa for two sixes in that over... He then hold out and lost by 10 runs. It and, was, and at Chelmsford, you know, runs, yeah, runs yeah. do get scored. We saw it again Cameron Delport re- repeating the heroics of uh, his, his game against Surrey way back at the beginning of the tournament. So, as you say, 40 off 25 sounds like a tougher equation, but really... At Chelmsford, it's about as easy as it comes, or should be, um, theoretically. But yeah, they've just... 
I think um, I suppose once it happens once or twice, it, it, you know, you, it, it does play on a on on a batting lineup's collective mind. But um, yeah, I don't think there's any particular way of explaining it. Um, and also, it, you know, it's a sad way to end the season really for Kent because they've competed much more than um, people expected them to. I think there are a lot of people's favourites to go down in the championship and look like they'll mm. probably finish comfortably in sixth or seventh, but effectively mid-table given only one team goes down this year and then had had such a stellar start to the T20 competition that um, you know, you'd think they should have been absolutely fine, home and hose, but here they are. And um, I suppose you can't help but feel a bit for Sam Billings as well, who at the start of the season you know, would have thought his his dream summer was on the cards of starting the IPL, have a good IPL, force his way into the England squad, especially with Alex Hales as deselection. He was probably a good shout for that, but injured in his first game back on the sidelines for a long time and then comes back to capture them to four losses and two abandonments to, you know, yeah. screw up a, and also, a brilliant position. And, it? and also in the county championship. I mean, you're, you're sort of seeing 10th season implode and really they could do with it just ending now, you feel. I mean, yeah. they bowled out for 40. Yeah, of course. In the county yeah. championship against Essex as well. So you sort of, I just wonder if so much effort went into those first few months um, and that really they just ran out of gas. And they were unlucky with the loss of overseas players as well and injuries that, that's, that's taken its toll. And I just wonder if it's just become too much in a long season. I'm, I'm leaving the best till last because that now establishes for our listeners, of course, that Kent and Somerset, who were firm favourites to qualify, they didn't make it through. Surrey were eliminated when they lost to Essex quite comfortably in the end at the Oval. Another packed house. I was there for the, the match against Somerset. and I missed the game against Essex, but all accounts yet again... Huge numbers of people flocking to the ground. Uh, I spoke to somebody at Surrey who told me during the Somerset game that at that point they'd played 13 matches and 12 of them that they'd played around the country had been sold out. Mm. The only one that wasn't was at Glamorgan. No great surprise there. (laughs) But now I'm coming to Glamorgan because Glamorgan, who had not won a single match, they'd lost eight, they'd tied one, they'd had four abandonments. They were playing against the Hampshire side who had a positive net run rate. They just needed to win. And then they would have qualified against bottom of the table, Glamorgan, at Cardiff. And it all went wrong there as well. I mean, everybody is choking. Everybody except the final team we'll talk about, which we will do shortly. What on earth went down at Glamorgan? Yeah, it looked like an absolutely crazy game. Um, All all the reports coming in were that it was a belter, but um, you still have to score runs on a belter, and they got 215 or so of them, and... Um, Hampshire's attack, you know, you have the figures to hand, I think, but they, they went absolutely miles. Well, indeed, between Wood, Shamsey and Fuller, 125 runs were leaked, I believe, in eight overs, which, you know, is just absolutely calamitous. Now, I, I suppose a little bit of weight of any kind of expectation that Glamorgan had gone, and mm. I said Colin Ingram were free to do what they do, and Nick Selman, and and Lloyd and what have you, but, I mean, these are guys who show no form whatsoever. Yeah. And they hijack a side that very often at finals day have got a really good white ball pedigree. It's a big shock to me that, that Hampshire didn't make it through. I mean, I, I suppose earlier on in the campaign, I thought they were struggling, but I always backed them when it, when it was going to get really tight for them to get through, but they haven't. So it means, ladies and gentlemen, that Middlesex, a scraped through, yes, scraped through with 15 points and a positive net run, net run rate. Uh, thanks to the extraordinary shenanigans of Owen Morgan, but we talked about that earlier. And AB a. de Villiers 
So they will play a quarter-final against Nottinghamshire. They've never played each other in T20, those mm. two sides. So that's something to look forward to. And that will take place at Trent Bridge. But let's leave the best to last, because I do not know how Essex have made it through. <laughs> I genuinely don't. Uh, I had given up on them, and I believe pretty much the, the Essex players had given up on it, hadn't they? I mean, not that they weren't going to try to win games, but they had no expectation of qualification today, Matt. Yeah, I sat down um, for a chat with the T20 captain Simon Harmer before the final game, and he was telling me, you know, the words he, the adjectives he used to describe the T20 season were frustrating and challenging, and he was sort of talking about putting things in place for future seasons and hoping to sort of change the uh, change how things were, were going. They Out of their first 10 scheduled fixtures, they won a total of two Two games, um, thanks. It, it, you know, they, they had four washed out, but they had there, there were no signs that Essex were really going to do anything. They had the uh, the Delport game, obviously the fourteen over game at the start of the tournament, which um, you know it is a little bit of a random one. Early on in the season, you can imagine that a team would win a, a reduced game, but past then they were pretty abject. They had an awful loss by over a hundred runs to Somerset at Chelmsford. Um, and then stole three really with three wins and a tie in their last four. Um, Ravi Bapara was in fine form, um, and, and we'll hear from him in a moment. And, uh, yeah, it, it was an astonishing couple of nights. I don't think they, they gave themselves a prayer going into the last few games. And, uh, yet here they are with a, a, an unexpected trip to Chesterla Street where Lancashire will host that quarterfinal to look forward to. Well, look, you, you've teased us. Why do we hear from Ravi Bapara now? This week, did you think you had a chance coming into the over yesterday? We had a chance, you know, mathematically, but if we're, if we're being brutally honest, we, there was no chance. Really. We, you know, mathematically there was, but in our minds we were like, it's going to take ridiculous results to go our way. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it happened is just unreal. Um, is the writing on the, uh, on the wall? Don't know. Maybe we'll go through to finals day and surprise a few, but let's see. And did they, do you think that helped you play with a bit more freedom? The fact you didn't have two, you didn't think you had a chance, it was a bit of all or nothing? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think guys just went, look, it don't matter now. It doesn't matter about the result. Let's just go and express ourselves and, and go for it. And, and um, you know, it's, it's come off. And some of those games were close and, you know, it's amazing you can go through and not qualify the, by, you know, by the width of a hair. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you've obviously been down at six. It's come off in the past few games. Um, are you happy down there? Were there a few tough conversations when you put down there? Or? Yeah, it was some very tough conversations. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably why I got left out, um, you know, in a couple of games earlier in the tournament. Uh, if I'm brutally honest, I'm still not happy down there, but... It's the role I've been given. Um, I'll I'll give my very best, uh, and and hopefully we'll win games. That's that's, that's all I can do. Yeah. Well, you see here, very punchy Ravi Bapara, but he's got, also got a very good point, hasn't he? That maybe just freed from those shackles, they uh, they just look like a different side all of a sudden. And you look down their order, and, and you think that they're always going to perform well in T20 because they've got the personnel you'd say they've got the raw batting strength but what do you make of his comments about wanting to bat higher than six yeah it's an interesting one um you know you look through his numbers over his career and there was a you know the, for a long time he opened the batting for them for a long time he batted three or four um he's down at five last year and now six this year um and I suppose there's two sides to it which are um from his point of view he clearly wants to bat higher and uh, he'll see his recent success as evidence that he should be facing more balls than he's been allowed to. But equally, 
Uh, I'm sure his captain and coach will think, you know, if he's scoring 17 not out of 35 as he did at the Oval or 47 off 20 something uh, at Chelmsford against Kent, then that's probably proof that he's one of the best finishers we have. Um, I think most both of those innings have kind of followed the standard Bapara blueprint of taking 10 or 15 balls to get set, which isn't necessarily what you want from a number six. But um, the other side of that is that if um, if they know they've got him to come in and they've got that extra bit of security down the order, then the top order players, the guys like Adam Wheater at number three and uh, Delport at the top of the order can go that little bit harder to start with. And it doesn't matter if they're four down after 10 overs. Well, he was dead right about it only really being about mathematics that we could get through. It required all the results that we've talked about to happen. It required Glamorgan to get their first victory of the season when they beat Hampshire. Uh, it's actually, I think it required Middlesex to beat Somerset, did it not? It did. It required Essex to have beaten Kent. It required, um, they had to beat Surrey, of course, before that. It's quite extraordinary. I think they actually needed Hans to beat Middlesex as well, the way it all panned out. So uh, I'm just sort of largely gobsmacked by how they made it through. I mean, thinking about it, actually, they could probably have done with Middlesex beating Hampshire, but... You know, it, it, well, it was yeah. just required an inc- incredible breadcrumb trail of happenstance. And they made it. And they're going to play against Lancashire in a quarterfinal. We're going to review the quarterfinals shortly. Before we do, let's just wrap up with what that all meant then. The end of the South Group. Sussex way out on top, 19 points. Um, closely followed, I should say, by Gloucestershire. But both of them are miles away from Middlesex and Essex who had 15 points each in third and fourth, then Kent on 14, Somerset 13, Hampshire 13, Surrey 12. And you look at that, they'll have regrets. They'll mm. think that they were close. Plenty. Really, I mean, just a win here and a, and a win instead of a tie, and they could well have been in the mix. And then abject Glamorgan down at the bottom. So that's the South Group done and dusted for another year with Sussex victorious, the North Group. We're not going to spend much time on it because really nothing has changed. It, it, it's as you were, isn't it? Lancashire and Notts out top, Derbyshire and Worcestershire. There was an abandoned game between uh, Notts and Worcester, which didn't help matters for, for Worcestershire, crucially, as they were looking to get a home tie. They won't have that. But Derbyshire, I suppose that to me is the story. Worcestershire defending champions, I think Lancashire and Nottinghamshire, we both know quality teams in that group. But Derbyshire, do they surprise you? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I gave them too much of a chance at the start of the season, um, especially with only one overseas player. And I guess, um, I suppose there's the argument that they had um, they, for a couple of years now, they've had specialist T20 coaches. They had John Wright to start with and then Dominic Cork this season. Um, but realistically, as I think we said the other week, um, they've had a pretty simple game plan of uh, trying to restrict teams to scores of 150 or so and then banking on two guys who are very, very good at ticking the strike over and scoring early boundaries and Billy Godelman and Wayne Madsen. Um, there's no great mystique to their formula or anything, I don't think. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go in a second quarter final in three years, which I don't think many people gave them much of a chance of reaching at the start of the year. There are signs that will be disappointed. I mean, I look at Yorkshire and I see they had a little bit of a spurt towards the back end. But it was way too little too late as they've been languishing at the bottom of the table. They ended up in fifth. Durham, who might have repeated their heroics of last year, were, were close but no cigar. I mean, they beat Knots this week, but it was all completely yeah, in vain. I, I think Durham will be the team that sort of really feels as though they should, should and, yeah, could and probably should have got through from that group. Um, you know, they had Darcy, Darcy Short and Scott Steele were scoring all sorts of runs at the top of the order, and they had a couple of 
similar sort of Kent style batting implosions earlier in the tournament. They had a game at Chesterfield Street against Worcestershire where they needed something like 117 to win and threw it away having had eight or nine wickets left with a few overs to go and I think, um, yeah, in, in a different year, they could very much have um, competed. But, you know, I'm sure they'll recruit over the winter. But, um, yeah, I think for a, for a county like Durham, who could probably have done with a, a quarterfinal, not not least for the coffers as well as um, for, to, to get a bit of a po- mood of positivity around the place after um, a reasonably difficult time over the past few seasons. It, it's, a, it's a great shame that they... Uh, have, have fallen at the first hurdle. Uh, only two points separated fifth from ninth. Yorkshire in fifth, Durham in sixth with 12 points, Northampton with 12 points, and then Birmingham and Leicester at the bottom on 11. want to dwell briefly on Birmingham. I know you've been almost incandescent with rage at <laughs> Matt Roller at the lack of Ed Pollock. And then he came storming back beautifully this week with a, with a, a glorious crunching contribution Where's he been? What's Birmingham's game plan been all along? And uh, do they actually deserve to be down in second bottom, given the way they've played? Well, he's been languishing in the seconds, is, is basically the answer. Um, he, he said after um, their televised game against uh, Durham that he'd been frustrated with how things had been from a personal perspective that season. Um, you know, they had that game where they fell to pieces against Colin Ackerman uh, when Pollock had hit a, I think, 38 ball 100 for the twos the same day and was sat watching it on telly at home, probably thinking, why on earth aren't I out there? Um, you know, I'm sure his time will come again. He's scoring runs for fun in seconds and club cricket. But, um, yeah, I, I think, it, it, I, as I've said, and you as, feel they got their just desserts, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, basically. I think, I think Say if you're it. going to, if you're going to have a dull enough game plan to open the batting in T20 with Sam Hayne and Dom Sibley and basically take a risk-free approach, despite the fact you have one of the best pinch hitting openers in the country, especially on his salary, yeah. um, then I, I, you know, I think in some ways maybe you don't deserve to get through if you're going to be as as small c conservative as that. Well, you know, trenchant words from you, Roller, and, but that's what we hire you for. Uh, so now let's look forward to these quarterfinals, which are happening this week. They take place during the Test match, at least in the evening of the Test match on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The home sides: Lancashire, Nottinghamshire, Sussex, and Gloucestershire. Lancashire, of course, can't be at home because. The fixture schedule is such that there's a test match at their home ground. So they're off to Chesterfield Street. You touched on that. I want to go through these four games briefly, and I want your predictions. Lancashire are going to play against Essex. Correct. I'm, I'm looking forward. Street. I think that will be a really interesting game tactically because Lancashire like playing on slow pitches with big boundaries. This is exactly what they've got, and they they were pretty open in their statement um, about the venue switch, saying while we could have potentially got a slightly closer neutral ground than Chester Street. We needed some kind of cricketing advantage and this ground suits us. Um, so I think they're going to bowl loads of spin. Essex again have a, have a pretty useful attack in terms of slow bowlers in Zampa, Harmer, Delport and Bapara. Um, so I think, you know, it might not be one for the neutrals, put it that way. It might be quite a, uh, quite a, a turgid tactical game that's fought in matchups as much as, uh, sort of maverick hitting, but, uh, I'm very interested to see how that goes. I think Lancashire will probably have the quality to get through um, against an Essex side. They won't have been preparing to play against, of course, but, um, yeah, I'll, go, I'll plump for Lancashire. Make a note of that, Lancashire. Um, I agree with you as it, as it happens, although Essex are obviously on a roll, having won three and tied one, but 
I think you're right. I think the uh, the different conditions that they're going to be playing in would definitely make Lancashire favourites at Pachetta Street. Then we have Knotts against Middlesex. As we've said, they've never played before. We've got nothing to go on in terms of uh, form guide there. But that's two big hitting sides, isn't it? And at Trent Bridge, I mean, who knows what Owen Morgan could do at Trent Bridge or Amy de Villiers. Yeah, the odd the odd thing with Trent Bridges has actually been surprisingly lower scoring this this season, and I think that is partly to hosting several World Cup games, um, and partly to the fact they've had a, a sort of um, more spin heavy attack. And I'll be interested to see whether we get a sort of CEO's quarter final pitch where people try and get as many runs as possible, or more likely, I think because. Um, the television gantries mean that there's only a certain number of strips that can be used. I think we might see a slower pitch that will suit Middlesex, uh, sorry, suit Nottinghamshire's three spinners very well. Um, and Middlesex are without, um, Majib and Mohammed Hafiz, who are both, uh, on international duty and CPL commitments respectively. Um, and therefore Nathan South is their only real pace off bowler. Um, bit of Paul Sterling. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps some darts, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm tempted to think that, um, that knots are probably the favourites going into that, but I've, I, you know, I've said knots were my tournament favourites from the word go, and they've slightly flattered to deceive. And I wrote off Middlesex early doors, and they've stormed through. So, you know, so you're going to go for knots. I am. I'm going to go for Middlesex. I just have a, a strange feeling about them at the moment. They feel fortunate and blessed. Next up, Gloucestershire against Derbyshire. Who would have thought? Two really unfancied sides with tiny budgets and no real superstars. One of them is going to be at finals day. Bristol's going to host a, what will be a terrific occasion, I'm absolutely sure. Where do you see that one going? I think it'll be the glorious Gloucesters. Um, I think we'll have, uh, you know, all the guys that don't necessarily get the TV time because they don't, um, they don't get that many of their games covered and they're often on horrible pitches. Um, I think we'll see someone like a Ryan Higgins or a James Bracey uh, or a Chris Liddle will be the star. And I think they're going to... Um, they're going to win annoyingly, reasonably convincingly. Yeah, annoyingly, I, I entirely agree with you. So I'm going to have to go with you there as well. And, and it's partly because I, d- I just haven't seen enough of Derbyshire and I can't quite believe what's going on up there. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but also, I have seen a fair bit of Gloucestershire and I think they've got a game plan that works. And then finally, here at Hove, Sussex against last year's champions, the defending champions, Worcestershire. That's a heck of a match-up, that, isn't it? It's a it's a replay, isn't it? It is. It's a final. replay of last year's final. Um, and I think I'm going to plump for there being the same result. Um, Worcestershire have an interesting campaign thus far, um, whereby they've they've uh, they've had lots of interruptions with uh, with championship games and tour games in the middle of it but I think they're going to I have a feeling they're going to pull something remarkable out of the hat I think Daryl Mitchell has been a stalwart in the middle overs this year he's going under sixes in the tournament Uh, Pat Brown will do his thing at the death and I think Worcester are going to qualify for a second successive finals day well I've watched them twice this season I watched them at Trent Bridge and I watched them at Edgebaston and they were very good on both occasions a big fan of the likes of Ed Barnard as well and, uh, and and Dylan Pennington and so forth, but I'm afraid Sussex were my tip at the start. They were the tip of my start last season as well. They are the best side in the tournament. They're playing at home. We are here at Hove. We have to show some kind of uh, due deference <laughs> to our hosts. So for me, it's a Sussex win. So just to remind ourselves, um, you've gone Lancashire, Nottinghamshire, Gloucestershire, Worcestershire for finals day. I've gone Lancashire, Middlesex, Gloucestershire, Sussex. So. Well, we will find out because this time next week, 
all those matches will have been played and we'll have our finals day lineup. Can you believe that the season is just melting away before our eyes? But it isn't all over yet. And I think it's time that we, we moved on to KSL action because today it's been KSL finals day. So here we are, Daniel Norcross and Matt Roller, in the immediate aftermath, the afterglow, I would say, of the last ever Kia Women's Super League Finals Day. The sun is setting, the crepuscular hour is upon us, and the victors, well, they were the favourites. The team that won nine out of ten league matches went straight through to the final and then won that final ultimately in convincing fashion, led to victory by their captain, Heather Knight. Yes, it's the Western Storm, but that tells only a part of the story of what has been another terrific finals day, Matt Roller. Yeah, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have thought um, when they lost their fourth wicket that the Storm would do it in such convincing fashion. You would definitely think if uh, if the game were to finish with an over to spare, it would have been because they'd have been bowled out rather than because they'd have cruised things in the end thanks to a quite remarkable partnership, really, between Heather Knight and Deep D. Sharma, which accounted for 71 runs uh, in six and a half overs. Well, indeed, and we will look in a little bit more depth at that final in a moment, but let's just pause and reflect on the semi-final, which actually gave us an enormous amount of fun as well. The Loughborough mm, Lightning, right. who finished second in the group phase, you may recall, were playing against the Southern Vipers, the uh, tournament's first ever winners back in 2016 at Chelmsford on that finals day. And uh, it was a, a tight game, actually. The Loughborough Lightning got off to a, a pretty decent start, but they weren't able to maintain it. And this has been a, a theme, really, of the Women's Super League, that if the the top gets blown away or at any point at which a fourth or fifth wicket gets lost then it just gets harder and harder those lower orders are not quite as strong are they they struggled to 143 all out we thought actually with runs on the board in a semi-final it might be enough uh, top scorers uh, Georgia Adams with 28 uh, daughter of course of Chris Adams and uh, Georgia Elwis England's Georgia Elwis also out for 28 but in the end, it wasn't quite enough as the Southern Vipers got off to their traditionally blistering start. Got mm. Well over 60 in the power play. Susie Bates, Danny Wyatt and Tammy Beaumont getting them off to that good start. But as wickets fell, it started to get claggy again. And it was down to a decent partnership down at the bottom of the order between Amanda Jade Wellington and Paige Schofield to get them over the line, which they did eventually buy over and with five wickets to spare. It was. It was a, a sort of a... a very frenetic, frenzied type of a game where Loughborough sort of, they, they had an innings of many parts. They had that, that partnership between Adams and Elwis, which uh, looked as though it might be the turning point for them. Then kept on finding uh, Danny Wyatt, who was uh, her usual electric self at Deepman Wicket, um, involved in, I think she took three catches, affected one run out herself, and then uh, was at the, was when she was bowling, uh, dislodged the bales for a second. So, uh, quite an effort from her in the field and then yeah it was a, a, a strange old run chase really where it looked as though they were home and hosed um, very from very early on before what looked like it might be one of the most remarkable chokes you've ever seen but um, despite the sort of best efforts of uh, Loughborough he put on a real squeeze thanks to uh, thanks to Glenn uh, Kirsty Gordon and uh, Elwes they, uh, yeah, they, they managed to just about stumble over the line into the final. It meant that we got that final, and it's the final. It's a, it's a replay of, of two previous finals, is it? Not indeed, like, indeed. Um, each side having won one of those finals before. The Storm playing the Vipers. The Vipers winning the first Super League, then the Storm winning the second Super League. 
Surrey winning the third, but it was the Storm who came out on top. And they will keep the trophy forever in what was, I mean, I have to say, a really good um, advertisement for women's cricket and for the Kia Super League. It's been like this a fair bit on finals day. The Vipers won the toss, elected to bat, and uh, Danny Wyatt, 73, was absolutely sumptuous, wasn't it? She got good support from Susie Bates at the top of the order with 26 and Tammy Beaumont with 33. And at one stage, we were hunting through the record books, trying to find the most number of runs scored in the Kia Women's Super League. And we were looking for 183, I think, was, uh, was at one point being talked about. And then Danny Wyatt, could she get her second hundred of this season since she's moved up the order in the first couple of years of Super League she was forever being put down at number six five or six I couldn't understand this because mm. how are England going to develop their better players if they're being hidden down the order well she's gone up the order this season and she's responded by scoring more runs in a Kia Super League season than anyone else yeah she was exceptional um, and I think today probably confirmed uh, what we I think what we probably already knew um in that uh, her her poor ashes series was probably little more than a blip and that she should be uh, back in fine fettle come the uh, T20 World Cup I think the, uh, the there were two real takeaways from this game the first was that um, you know the, the as you suggest the, uh, the the strength and depth that the Storm had um, you know completely trumped almost any other team in the batting uh, department so I think I worked out the Vipers over 60% of their runs off the bat through the tournament were scored by those top three today who made hay in uh, Bates, Wyatt and Beaumont and uh, you know things fell away fairly badly I think they lost six wickets for 38 in the last six overs which really looking back on it is probably where they lost the game um, and then secondly I suppose it, um, it you know confirmed to us that run chase just how good a player Heather Knight is she'd sort of knocked things around her main role this year for the Storm had been knocking things around scoring a you know 100-105 type strike rate uh, she'd been involved in a couple of good partnerships with Fran Wills to take them over the line in tough chases but often often lower scorer ones but she she found that extra gear today didn't she there were a couple of lovely lofted shots over extra cover and sweeps and death touches and you know a, a real mix of power and placement um, and yeah realistically it's very very hard to argue with uh, the Storm securing their their second title well she played some sumptuous shots there was an extra cover drive one bounce four that was glorious there was mm. a six over deep backward square leg it was it was wonderful stuff from Heather Knight and this let's not forget after Smriti Mandana the Indian superstar was out to her first ball a really good catch in the end by Marie Kelly of uh, Tash Barrett. Well, and of she, course, her, her first ever ball on Kia Super League Finals Day, having missed last year's, uh, yes, due to that national training camp that no one, no one sort of saw coming. Well, uh, aside from winning, she had a day to forget, yeah, really, really, because well, she dropped a couple of catches. Yeah, put yeah. down white. It, it, it wasn't really her day, but it was compensated for by that fantastic knock from Heather Knight, and also I've got to say, Dipti Sharma. She's had barely any chance to bat this year in the Super League because she's been down at number six. The Storm have been so strong. Frequently, she's not, not got a bat at all as the top five have gobbled up all the runs for themselves. But today, I mean, she looked a class act, didn't she? 39 off 22 balls and striking the ball so crisply. Yeah, and you consider that when she when she um, plays T20 cricket for India, she bats anywhere between sort of three and eight as a sort of floater. She's batted everywhere. She's batted at four for a bit, five for a bit, six for a bit. But the fact that she's been down at six this whole season probably just, just goes to show how strong um, the Storm's batting has been in a way that no other team has managed... Um, to, to replicate over the course of four seasons and I, I think um, you know they've won more games than anyone else over the four seasons of the, key, of the KSL and have deserved champions 
Um, final thoughts on the KSL as a tournament. Uh, you mentioned there the, the dominance of the Western Storm. We've got to say the Vipers also appearing in three finals. Mm. And I know the ECB have tried to change the personnel and try to move people around so that they got, I suppose, a more, more competitive edge. But in the end of it, it's been really uh, those two teams, together with Loughborough Lightning, who appeared on finals day a few t- good few times, and the Surrey Stars won it last year. But those two main teams have dominated it. And, and is that down to, to coaching or just personnel? It's very difficult, really, to, to say for sure. I think the um, what we can take home is that those those uh, the sides that perhaps not necessarily the ones that um, have such a sort of strong base as Lancashire and Yorkshire in terms of Old Trafford and Headingley um, are the ones that have ended up coming out on top in that, you know, the storm have moved around. They've had to grow their own fan base. Uh, same with the Lightning. They don't necessarily have a, have a, have a cricket-watching crowd of several thousand who they can just sort of uh, tap into from a, from a, a men's county side. Um, but... They've managed to managed to pull their weight. They've managed to find a team that's stronger than the sum of its parts, um, and uh, I think that those are those are the main reasons why they've come out on top. I think the KSL will generally be remembered as a, a step in the right direction. Um, I think there's a certain shame looking back on. Um, you know, we've had a good crowd in today. We've had a lot of um, support for the th- all three of the sides. Um, to be fair, today, uh, not just the Vipers, the home team, and I think. Um, it is certainly a shame that heading into the 100 next year, they couldn't tap into a few of those by replicating the size of the women's 100. I think it's a shame, for example, that the Western Storm is sort of needlessly going to be disbanded and become the Western Fire or Welsh Fire or whatever they end up being called. Um, and it, it seems like it would have been able... You could probably quite easily have built on this base by adding a couple more teams, adding a bit more funding, a bit more visibility. But, you know, yep. we shall wait and see. The, the women's game evolves... Uh, quite a pace so I'm sure within a few years this will all seem academic well indeed it does congratulations though to Danny White just to confirm the 460 odd runs she's made in this mm-hmm. year women's super league season more than anyone has managed before and there have been some very fine batters who've come over to England and played in this tournament uh, going past Meaty Mandana's record of last year and Heather Knight today became the first and only batter to score 1,000 runs in the tournament the tournament that is now, well, it is an at an end. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's been a great, I was going to say experiment, but I think you're right. It's a stepping stone on the way to more competitive domestic women's cricket. It's developed, as you say, a fan base. And every time I've come to finals day, I've just thought this is a really good format, but for anything else, I love the semi-final. And then the team that wins the group stage goes straight through the final and plays the winner of that semi-final. I wonder, I think it'll be the method they'll probably use for the 100 Quite next possibly. year. But um, from us here at Hove, all that's left for us to say is massive congratulations to England's captain, Heather Knight, the captain of the Western Storm, on winning the Kia Women's Super League and retaining the trophy forever, Matt Roller. So until next week, we don't have you next week. Alas. I've, got to, I've got to find a replacement because you are sunning yourself in Avignon. <laughs> So I've got to find an inferior replacement for Matt Roller. That may have to be George DeBell or, or Jared Kimber or Mel Farrell. Uh, as we will chew the cud over the four Vitality Blast T20 quarterfinals, which will have taken place. We will then know, therefore, our personnel for finals day. So next Monday, we are going to chew that cud. We're going to look in detail at those four quarterfinals. Are you going to miss us, Matt? Oh, of course, Dan. 
I will be I'll be listening from afar. Of Don't course you, you will. But you'll be back. You'll be back the week after. Um to you all out there, thank you ever so much for listening and uh, hope you can join me, Daniel Norcross, and whoever replaces Matt Roller next week next week. <laughs>